0: good, the bad, the highs, and the challenges. Each client project is a journey. We already know its destination. It's about getting there. This is Consult. Welcome to episode two of Consult. I'm so excited to have you back with us. I've got a really great interview for you this week with Tobias Dumont. We're going to talk about how he got into being an independent consultant. We're going to talk about how it's different being a consultant in the EU, in Denmark specifically, than it is in the US. We're going to talk about what it's like to have a really popular open source Swift project and how that's affected his business. I want to reach out to everybody listening and ask you to go on iTunes, and review Consult. That's the way you can help us more than anything. Now, I'm not going to tell you you have to give us a five-star rating, but if you do, certainly won't complain. And, you know, that intro music, it's pretty good, right? But the voiceover, do you find it a little bit too whimsical? I mean, it's supposed to be kind of whimsical. You know I'm not being totally serious in that Batman voice. Send me your comments. Tell me if you think we should change it. Anyway, without further ado, let's get to my interview with Tobias Dumont. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Tobias Dumont, thank you so much for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, why don't we start out by learning a little bit about your background, where you came from, how you got into programming, how you got into consulting, um, and even your education. Let's go back a bit.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me as well. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm from Denmark, and uh, my, my background for programming is actually I started out in Flash. Um, I started out... Uh, uh, yeah, in the beginning of the millennium, uh, doing some flash websites or just uh, fooling around with animations and stuff. And then uh, I quickly figured out that you could do much more if you used uh, action scripts. Then you didn't have to do this uh, uh, like gooey keyframe animations. You could actually do much more. You could jump back and forth between uh, keyframes and stuff. Uh, so that was my introduction to to programming, actually. And then I. I started doing some other stuff. I started doing uh, websites, a little bit of JavaScript, Uh, but also quickly actually began on on using Objective-C because I I got a Mac and uh, I needed a program for recording some uh, some timing stuff, and then I just uh, began making a time wrap.
0: So what about your education? And I've, of course, done some research on you before this. I know you have a master's degree, but it's not exactly in computer science, right?
1: No. um I have a, I have a master's degree in uh, acoustical engineering uh, so the so the bachelor degree in that is uh, electrical engineering um, and we do have some programming on that uh, uh, yeah in that education but it's not not that much and not yeah it's not that good at, uh, as well um, it was some Java uh, I had a course for half a year um, but it was it was no good but um but while I was studying, I was actually uh, doing iOS development. Uh, I began doing uh, projects with uh, my brother and uh, some other people, uh, people who had some interesting ideas of what an, an app should do. So I was studying while the iOS app community was building up. And uh, yeah, like everyone else, I had a lot of ideas and just tried uh, messing around with, uh, with Xcode. And yeah, and that way I learned to, to use Objective C and to write apps.
0: How many years ago was that? Uh, how far into the App store were we at that point?
1: Uh, I think I started uh, doing Mac development while, yeah, maybe at the same time when the iPhone came out. So, so after a year, yeah. I, it's, yeah, so after a year, I began doing iOS development as well. Um, I didn't have an iOS device or an iPhone OS device, as it was called then, but uh, I just uh, used the simulator and fooled and around that one.
0: What was it that attracted you to the platform?
1: Uh, I, I don't know. I, did, I didn't have a phone, as I said, so, so it, it wasn't actually building it for my I, I did build it for myself, but uh, I didn't actually have a use for it as a mobile app. Uh, it was just interesting to do it. And then when you had an idea, you could very quickly use uh, Apple's frameworks to create something quite, uh, quite big and quite impressive. Uh, so so I, I definitely utilized the frameworks to do something more than I could in if I did web development or if I did uh, yeah flash development or something like that so so that was very interesting for me
0: So we were talk- talking about the year two thousand and nine you had just started getting into iOS development you'd been doing some projects while you're at school working with your brother a little bit. Uh, when did you take that to the next level and decide that you wanted to be? Uh, Full time working in iOS, working independently in iOS.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so when I finished school, I decided that I wanted to work independently. Uh, I didn't want to work in the profession that I was actually, uh, uh, yeah, that I actually mastered in. Um, but I wanted to work with uh, with apps, mainly uh, as a um, as as something just on the side. And then I worked with uh, uh, with an armband from a company called uh, Thalmic Labs. Uh, it's this uh, armband for reading uh, muscle uh, activity, so you can actually do hand gestures and stuff, and then you can control different uh, other devices. So it's basically like a, uh, an input device for uh, for a computer, uh, similar to um, to a mouse or a keyboard, just using your, your hand gestures instead. Uh, and I thought this was really interesting, um, but over the course of time I found out that I actually wanted to do more just iOS apps. Uh, it was easier for me as one person to do something that's uh, turned into a, a final product instead of just, um, yeah, instead of just doing some uh, test examples and stuff with this uh, Myo armband. In, in iOS I could actually do uh, like finished products.
0: So the Myo armband, that was an iOS project though, right? That you were working in iOS for this company.
1: Uh, so it, it was a um, it was a I think they own kind of kickstarted with this armband. So I I just bought one from them, and they had a, like a developer program. Uh, so I just joined that one and got one very early uh, during their uh, iteration of the hardware. Um, and then I just yeah I, I mainly work from iOS using that armband, uh, but I I wanted to use it for like um, uh, input for like sign language and stuff like that, and it's. Yeah, I think I went in over my head uh, trying to solve this issue. Uh, so I, I kind of uh, ended up just doing more simpler apps uh, with, uh, yeah, that, that didn't need that much um, high level of research and development before there was actually a final product.
0: How did you find your first large-scale iOS consulting projects? Did you find them locally in Denmark? Were they remotely over the web? What venues did you use to find them? Or did they find you?
1: Yeah, so, uh, so actually um, they found me uh, because I didn't pursue making apps, uh, I didn't actively go out and try to find uh, clients but um, in Copenhagen there is a very uh, open uh, and uh, uh, yeah, actually a very good developer community so I joined it uh, when, I, when I finished my school because I needed to see other people and not just sit at home. Um, and And through that I got uh, connected to different people and different projects and uh, yeah that way I found my my first project or yeah the first project found me uh, and then I, I slowly added uh, a couple of clients to that list uh, um, over the yeah over the course of maybe one year or something uh, so after one year, I had uh, three clients, like big bigger clients um,
0: what what was your first client
1: um, my f- oh i had some different ones i did um i did an offline app for danish uh, laws so the website for the danish laws is uh, yeah so there's a public website but it's it wasn't very good uh, so um, through my network uh, someone working as a lawyer wanted to have an app so together with uh, with him and my brother we developed this app uh, so that uh, when I I did that while I was studying, but uh, when I finished, I I cranked it up a notch and yeah, and got paid more for each hour I worked on the project instead of having just uh, very small fees for for working on it.
0: So this was actually um, for the government.
1: No, so it was for a lawyer uh, just using this public data. So so I built a scraper for the. Uh, for the websites, uh, downloading all the the data for for the laws that we wanted uh, in the app, and then uh, loading it into the app, and then having a a much nicer, um, much nicer typographical uh, uh, interface for uh, for the laws. Uh, yeah. So it was directly non-government, like trying to do what the government did, but just do it better.
0: Uh, I because okay.
1: uh, from yeah, so from this lawyer, we heard that me and my brother we heard that. Uh, they often use their apps in, um, or they they often need to access the laws while they're in, like um, they're visiting one of their clients in jail. So there is a very bad uh, cell phone connection. So they need to have it offline. So usually they bring tons of books, uh, and and now they can just use this app instead. Bring it in and then go through maybe some some specific paragraphs with the the client, and and they can discuss it back and forth instead of having these big and maybe also very intimidating uh, intimidating books
0: now how did these first clients find you because you mentioned that they found you rather than you finding them
1: yeah so so this one was it was with my brother and through his network that uh, this app got set up uh, when i finished my my school and i i yeah i began joining this uh, developer community uh, some people join the developer community to find developers to do projects so they go in there, they, they, they become a part of the network, but actually they're there to find clients. Or no, not, not to find clients, but to find people who can, um, so you could be their client. Uh, so they have a specific project, and they, one of them was a, a startup. So for them, they needed to find someone who wasn't attached to a company and could spend quite a lot of hours. I was just newly started, so my fees weren't that high. And uh, so we found a match in, in working on a project that way.
0: Working from Denmark, do you find that you're mostly competing with other Danish iOS developers or are you competing with American developers, British developers, Indian developers? Um, do you find that you're able to sell the ability to meet with clients locally um, or is it more of competing on price and experience?
1: Yeah, um, so i definitely say that I compete with the local. Uh, in terms of that they have the same um, they have they have the same values as, as i do uh, I have had some projects where i have been in discussions with uh, with the potential clients but they uh, they actually went to maybe yeah to india or some other country where they could get uh, at least initially they could get a like a cheaper um, um, price for their projects um but I I don't feel that I'm actually in competition with with people not being in Denmark or maybe trying to sell their work on different values than I do, um, because first of all there is a very big need for iOS developers. So here in Copenhagen it, it wouldn't take long to get a job if I uh, if you wanted to have one when you when you start out. Um, so most people when they finish school they get a job right away because there is there are so many companies who want to uh, have apps. And also companies begin to see that they need to continuously build apps and they also figure out that it requires quite a lot. So they also want an in-house team. And when they begin to do that, then everyone who is uh, finishing school just get hired by the companies and some go to uh, consultancy firms um, and some start out independently. So, so in general, there is such a big need for, um, for developers that there isn't really, it, it isn't that competitive uh, yeah, So it's mainly just setting a price that is fair, and, and, and then I've been so lucky that I, could, that I could just pick the projects that I, I wanted to try.
0: That's very interesting. You know, um, I've been doing, I think, consulting in the U.S. for a similar amount of time as you, maybe a little bit shorter. Um, and I do feel like I'm on a regular basis competing with outsourced teams. Um, I, I think you touched on something very interesting, which was the idea of values. Um, And that the clients share some values with you and therefore, um, because of those shared values, you're not competing with with the outsourced teams. I think that's happened to me too. Um, There's been clients where um, they appreciate that I understand something that they're working on from a cultural perspective, uh, maybe from the perspective of the quality that I'm going to put into the app, the craftsmanship of the app, um, that maybe you don't get from an outsourced team. Um, can you can you talk more about the values that um, you share with the clients and how that's been a competitive advantage for you?
1: Yeah. So so what you mentioned is uh, I have yeah I have very much the same experience here in uh, in Copenhagen. Um, I've had uh, I had some projects where I I I help them do the specification or a, a very um, very crude prototype, and then they they have that as a spec. And then they can go and, and find uh, like an outsourced place and, and, and get it built from them instead, uh, much cheaper than I have been able to do. Um, so so they help, I help them in the initial phase, finding out okay what are, what is critical for this project, what is actually technically possible, and then uh, after that like the that the more uh, you can say uh, um, the more hands on programming they could hire someone else to do. Um of course, software, as I see it, is always uh, a very, uh, it's a continuing uh, process. So, so even though I helped them in the beginning, of course, I think they should have used me the, all the way through. Uh, nice. So, usually, I, I say to clients that, or potential clients that, okay, I can help you in the beginning, but please just use me one hour a month throughout the project, and then you can actually uh, figure out when you're doing a mistake or if your client is, isn't actually, um, or yeah, not their client, but... But the people who are doing the work for them, that they can, they might actually be uh, doing lower quality than what they are expecting. Or yeah, yeah, so to have someone help them monitor uh, the the people they are paying for for doing their projects. Uh, okay, but it's just that I've had some clients that that have done that, and and I've also yeah, it's just a general thing that people know that at least as a developer in Copenhagen, everyone I've talked to. Is, they always say that well, if you outsource it, you always get problems, and and these problems you need to manage in some way. Um, and if you're if you have a very non technical team situated in Denmark, maybe doing a startup, and then you outsource the, the just the like just the programming, right? It's it's never just programming, but from a non technical perspective, it can seem that way. And then they they um, there is a too big a barrier between both a non technical team trying to hire in a technical team, but then the technical team isn't there every day. So they are, they are not going to the same workplace. They have to talk on the phone, and then maybe there is even an entire week without them communicating with the, with the technical team actually doing the work. And that's, that usually ends in, in something that's, that's not where you actually want to go.
0: So how much would you say that speaking the same language and maybe coming from the same culture plays a role in your relationship with your clients?
1: Um, I I don't I have no experience in in like the culture actually doing a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more than it's it's more just being here, like being in the same place, being able to meet uh, the next day if that's necessary, or maybe right now uh, if that's also necessary. Because sometimes when you work on work on things, it's just it's very good to to meet up and and discuss things instead of doing it on the phone. And sometimes it's also good because you. Uh, you give them that test version of the app and doesn't work the way that you're expecting, and instead of just looking through crash logs and use that as an, as an outset for what's wrong, then you can actually meet up, hook up their device, solve it for them right there, and then they can go and meet maybe potential investors in the evening, and and, and they, they feel much more comfortable since they have access to, to getting things fixed very quickly. Uh, especially since the App Store is very slow if you're putting out updates, uh, and maybe you're using some that if you use something like TestFlight for pushing outs, sometimes there's also delays for half day or maybe one day for reviews for, for just doing a beta testing. And then you can skip that by by actually being in the same room. Um, so so that's also something that is is valuable for, for clients.
0: I've had a similar experience on a couple projects where the client has an outsourced team that I'm working to help manage. Um, What have been some of the challenges with that, and what's been your experience working with um, outsourced teams?
1: Uh, So I I haven't actually ended up working on any project where I have this uh, where I'm managing an outsourced team. Uh, The the clients I've had so far, or the potential clients that didn't turn out to be clients, uh, uh, ended up just trying to manage them themselves. Uh, Some of them had technical background, so uh, so yeah, so so it's more that. yeah, like a a month ago, someone contacted me and said, "Okay, now we we're still doing this project. Maybe you can help on something." And then I helped them for one hour, and and then that's it. So so I didn't actually manage. I don't actually manage the team, but but I'm still the uh, like a lifeline that they can call when they when they need some help. Uh,
0: so okay. that's
1: that's also some yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Um, I was browsing through your website, and by the way, uh, if you want to give a plug for it, I think that would be great. Um, and I, I saw you worked on some really interesting projects. Of your consulting projects, which one has been the one that's um, been the most exciting for you or the, or the most interesting for you from both a development perspective and also maybe it's a different project from a personal perspective?
1: Yeah, yeah, so, so when I, uh, as I said, when I finished school, I didn't have any educational background in programming, uh, so I felt like I, I had to try and see, how I need, needed to find my level uh, and see how big projects I can could uh, could cope with. Um, so so I I tried to take smaller projects in the beginning with that I where I knew I could deliver. Uh, but else I've I've actually picked projects to to um, to challenge me personally. So I've taken one project that is uh, for a startup, as I mentioned uh, earlier, and then I've taken one project that was for a. Uh, that is actually through another consultancy firm uh, so so I have nearly no uh, I have responsibility of my own work of course, but I, I don't have anything that uh, that can get blamed on me in terms of uh, project management um, and then I've also had another project with uh, with another startup that was a bit more established uh, that did have funding uh, so so I've, I've tried to take different projects that challenge me. Um, Personally, also to figure out, okay, which type of consultant should I actually be? Um, so so the, I think my favorite project so far has been, uh, been a project called Be My Eyes. Um, it's a very, um, I think it's a very interesting project. It's, um, it's much more than just an iOS app uh, in terms of what it gives value to the users. Um, but yeah, the basic thing about Be My Eyes is it's an app for blind people. Uh, or maybe just visually impaired people that they can use and they request help and when you request help it's just like a Skype call but it's to one of our uh, volunteers who also signed up for the platform and then you just get connected to someone who actually upfront has said I want to help someone and then when you get connected there is no um, you remove the friction of having to call your friend or your family member or someone and, and keep calling them again and again about the same problem here you just connect to someone uh, random. Um, and then uh, when you get the help through that way, the, it's kind of like um, uh, it's crowdsourced help mm-hmm. and we're doing it on demand. Uh, and it's, uh, it's quite interesting also from a social perspective to see if, if could we actually get people to sign up to be helpers uh, and would, would people actually use it to get help in their daily life and how do we balance not, uh, not over-enabling uh, people with, uh, with visual impairments but just helping them the right time where it was actually necessary for them to get some, some extra. Um, so that's a quite interesting project because it has so much more than just developing an iOS app.
0: It sounds like such a positive social cause and it sounds like it's really an app that can have a huge impact. Um, how do you handle the streaming video? So that sounds like it could be a bit of a technical challenge.
1: Yeah, so actually I joined this project uh, while it had already been in um, uh, in a beta test for maybe half a year or something. I think I joined just when we launched in uh, in in, the, in Denmark. So we um, there was actually an app uh, already when I joined the project, uh, but I was the only iOS developer. So there was a backend developer also on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 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 streaming part is actually done with. Uh, Using peer-to-peer technology, uh, so it uses something called WebRTC. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a Google controlled projects, uh, or they have been the main main developers of it.
0: Right, and I then so.
1: then we use yeah, and then we use some kind of uh, uh, we use a service on top of that that controls sessions and and connecting people. Uh, so it's uh, it's actually a fairly simple way of uh, of doing the streaming parts. Uh, and if something goes wrong, it's not much of in our control to change things. Uh, so of course it's it's also a bit annoying when, when the quality goes down and we don't know why. Uh, but f- in terms of being a very small team uh, of only two developers, then it's it has definitely been nice to just leverage this uh, awesome technology where we don't need servers to do the video streaming. So we, we use servers to connect people and to hook people up, to send push notifications, but for the streaming itself it's just uh, directly uh, between the two um, people in the call
0: so be my eyes is a project that you came onto after there was already an existing code base um i've found projects like that to be a real challenge because i find i spend almost as much time getting up to speed on the existing code as i do uh, creating new code and sometimes maybe the previous developers and i guess my some of the projects I'm thinking of, the experience has been a little bit different in that uh, it sounds like you joined the team as an additional um, developer, whereas in the projects I've been on, it's mostly been I've been taking over completely from somebody previously, and maybe um, they weren't uh, leaving the project in the most organized state when, when the, they stopped developing it. But what have been some of the challenges of coming on to projects where there's already an existing code base?
1: Yeah, so so for this project with uh, with Be My Eyes, as you said, I've I've joined the team. Uh, there was was no iOS developer when I joined the team, or there was, but he was uh, he was busy doing other stuff, and uh, yeah, so that was that was why I was hired in. Uh, but actually, that project was it was fairly easy to do because it was um, we were still developing the app, so it wasn't like a final product where you where there was all these different kinds of solutions or hacks for. Uh, for solving different things, but it was, everything was still in, in flux. Uh, so that was, that was quite easy. Um, I've been on another project where uh, the project was, um, had been outsourced to another consultancy firm in another country, so they have had uh, on that project they've had uh, communication issues, uh, and, and when the project was, what you can say, done and, and delivered, they didn't actually have what they wanted, so um, so when when I joined when I uh, got that project, uh, this was through another consultancy firm. So as I as I said, I, I didn't have the I didn't have to manage the project itself. I just yeah just do simple uh, development, right? Um, but but it, it has been a very big challenge uh, to do this and uh, to to have an existing code base that where the quality was also much lower than the than the client had expected it to be, even though they they were actually a technical uh, had like a set a technical team um, so so we 've yeah spent endless hours just uh, cleaning up refactoring and uh, uh, yeah trying to use new frameworks for things and, and stuff like that and yeah I think my, my personal learning from that is that i 'm not going to do that again anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, fun, uh, it's funny it 's funny because i
0: 've had the exact same experience multiple times and, and the first time I also said I i 'll never do this again and then I really liked. Um, the, when I ended up doing it again, I really liked the app and I really wanted to work on the app. But then, you know, when you see the code base after you've already signed on sometimes, and hopefully you see it before usually, but um, you, you get, get quite a surprise. Um, and it's, it's frustrating and it's, it's um, unfortunately uh, the quality in some outsourced teams really does um, vary, let's say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Also, the, this project was was fairly old as well. So, so there was uh, code from the early days of uh, of iOS development, and then some of the frameworks uh, Apple hadn't been porting over from the Mac yet, or some of the newer frameworks they weren't there. So, also, some, some of it is just that it's old code, right? It's not that they've actually done a bad job, but it's just something that was developed in a different time where Objective C was different and the frameworks were different. Uh, yeah, even after spending half a year on the project, uh, I still find things and get surprised by. Okay, this is really is it really that bad? And we need to fix this as well before fixing the other thing. And then yeah, so you have to fix three things before actually doing the new features that the client wants. And then it, it's difficult to satisfy a client when you when you always have to come back and say okay, but we need to clean up this first before doing the next step, even though they have an understanding for it. It's it doesn't it doesn't give a very um, Good atmosphere on a team I think.
0: No, um, I, I completely it, it's do really do difficult do. to
1: handle especially if you from the offset of the project didn't know that it was this bad because then everything just seems like a failure and a failure even though you're solving problems right you, you're, you're dealing with things that you didn't know was there but you're actually dealing with them uh, so no matter how good you do it, it it still feels like failure all the time when you you turn a stone and then there's something not so funny.
0: No, yeah, I've had the exact same experience, and you have to think to yourself: at what point do you say to the client, "Okay, we should just rewrite the whole app," and at the same time, you're kind of you know that they are not expecting that. They they think, "Well, I've already invested all this money with the previous developer. Um, why would I have to start from scratch now?" But the fact is that if, like you said, there's a lot of technical debt developed over years. Um, maybe because it was written so long ago, maybe because, frankly, the outsourced team just wasn't that great. Um, At some point, you have to say, well, maybe it makes more sense to start over than it does to keep fixing um, a leaky project. But um, when you come to that point, it has to do a lot with the economics of the project too. Um, Is the client just working incrementally, trying to add one feature at a time very slowly over a period that's fairly long, or are they um, ready to invest a lot of money in, in really doing things the right way?
1: Yeah, so, so, so for this project, um, we've had the experience that, so from the offset, I, I could see that there were many things missing, or things that didn't, wasn't set up the way that I wanted to work with it. So the first thing I did was to just recreate the project from Xcode. So I didn't; it, it used Git submodules for integrating external uh, projects. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to use something like CocoaPods instead. Uh, so so I I started out from scratch in terms of the project itself, like the the Xcode project, and then included different dependencies until I got it building. So I spent quite a lot of time just getting it to build, because the old project I couldn't get to build, so I might as well just build a new one, uh, build, make a new project and then make that one build, right? Uh, so, so I had the, the, what you can say, that the structure was new, even though all the different uh, elements were still old and, and uh, not so good. Um, so that has allowed me to, when I, I, I try to make new features, always do some cleanup for that new feature. Uh, so do it incrementally and it it has been something that is it's fairly difficult especially when we uh, for this project we worked in uh, like two week uh, sprints all the time so you you had to finish something after two weeks Uh, and sometimes I just had to say well I need to clean this up and it would take more than just two weeks doing it Uh, and then yeah it being a part-time project then you you just have to do that sometimes and say well this this will take maybe Effectively two weeks, but since we're not only working part time, it would take uh, two months doing it. And then you can try to do features on parallel. But but the best thing is, yeah. So if you if you have a good overview of the project and you know what you want to do and which parts should just be better before you build the new things, then you should do those things first. Uh, because for instance, one of the things that I that they used in the project was uh, having something similar to a custom collection view. Uh, and collections views, I find them. Um, they are very uh, powerful. It's a very powerful framework, even though it's highly customizable and uh, a bit too buggy. Uh, it's it's uh, you can do so much in uh, compared to what you could if you have to do everything in custom. And of course, this project has been built in a time where collection views weren't introduced. I think in iOS or at least they didn't use it. Right. Uh, right. And then you can, and then you can actually rebuild what they've done in a very short time, and you can actually show something to the client that works better because you're using a built-in framework. Uh, so, so sometimes you actually gain a lot of, um, uh, you get a lot of, he- you gain a lot of headroom by just taking a new framework in from the outside that does all this, or maybe ninety percent of what the previous uh, coder used uh, had created for this project, yes. and then you can. You can use that headroom for doing improvements as well. So you, you you gain improvements by just taking in a new third-party framework or maybe one of Apple's, but you can also improve a lot on it. So so sometimes that's, that's very helpful.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had the same experience where you find that the previous team had been recreating the wheel, um, and maybe it's because they were working before certain frameworks were even available. And you can drop in um, a framework that allows you to eliminate a huge amount of their their existing code base. Um, And that's obviously going to reduce bugs and also um, improve maintainability. So I actually came across, the the way I came across you originally actually was the async uh, project that you have on GitHub. And it's really been gaining a lot of traction. I think it has over 1,500 stars. Um, It's gotten some notoriety on some popular uh, Cocoa blogs. How did that come about? How did you um, develop async? Was it something that you were working on for a consulting project, and you open sourced? Was it something that you just did out of interest? What's the origin story?
1: Yeah, so so I think um, I think uh, I think Grand Central Dispatch, which uh, async builds on top of, uh, is a very interesting uh, framework from Apple's side. Uh, it's a it's a C level framework that allows you to do. Um, uh yeah to dispatch things on an asynchronous thread so you can you can uh you can take a block of code block of code and then you can push it to another thread uh and it's uh, it's uh, it's something that you have to use when you're building mobile apps uh and also now it's becoming even more and more important because you uh, you have to share resources between apps now on iOS apps on, on the iPad where you can have multiple apps at one time uh so it's it's really necessary that you don't uh, you don't spell, spend all the time in the app on one thread, you have to spread it out on different threads uh, and also allow the system to decide based on the blocks that you give it, say, okay, this block I will do now, another block I will do later, uh, based on uh, which priority you give these, uh, these blocks. Um, so I think it was uh, yeah, it was last year in the summer uh, during WWDC, I, had, uh, I didn't have uh, that much client work, so I had a lot of time to just watch the videos and, and try our programming, and when, when Swift came along, I thought, well, um, I, that I wanted to have some kind of project where I work with it uh, to see what are the extents of this language. Can you? Uh, it, it's so different syntactically from what we've been used to from Objective-C, mm-hmm. uh, so it was interesting to see how can this actually be used to, to improve on something that already existed. Uh, so I, I took the Grand Central Dispatch and basically tried to make... Um, a new syntax for it in uh, in Swift uh, because uh, yeah the old syntax hadn't been updated um, and I always found it very um, verbose the previous syntax and it was yeah I said it was a C a C framework so it's uh, it doesn't look very Swifty it didn't even look very Objective C like uh, in the uh, in previous years but um, yeah so I, I just began working on that and and try to see okay how How does GCD actually work? And and then I noticed in in the videos that they had something called um, notifications for blocks. So whenever a a block finished, and then uh, you could get notified. So basically you say, okay, I have a block, push it to another thread, and then whenever the system decides now it's finished, or to to run it, and then when it finished, then you get a notification. And the notification is, of course, just another block. and, and then I used it in, in async for, for chaining blocks. So, so in async, you can do something like uh, uh, saying, okay, I want to run this on the background thread, and then when you're done with it, I want you to uh, run this other block. Uh, and it, it might not seem like a big thing, but what it allowed me to do syntactically for async is to um, take something... Uh, instead of always nesting these blocks, so before when you when you push to the main thread, you had to nest one more level every time you did a new block, and and here I could just use the notification, and then I could chain things just with a dot syntax, and uh, and dot syntax is something that has increasingly become popular in uh, in Objective C over the years, and in Swift it's even more so, uh, probably highly inspired by by Ruby and other languages like that. Uh, so I find it interesting to see. Okay, how far can I push it? How how far can I push uh, Grand Central Dispatch to look like something that was native to Swift? Um, yeah. And so I basically had a lot of time. I, I looked around in it. I tried to make. Uh, I also tried to make tests for each and everything in in the, the framework. So actually doing test and test how um, how these asynchronous blocks if they actually were called in the correct order and on the the, the correct threads. Um, and I, for that, I used Xcode's new asynchronous tests methods. So it was it was a way of just uh, trying to use all the new stuff that that Apple had introduced and and see how I can use it in the projects. Uh, and then yeah, I I, I open sourced it and um, um, it got quite a big interest because people just yeah they hate having code snippets for just doing something as simple as I want to run this on a background thread. Um, so and also it's uh, since it's just a it's there's a little bit more than just being a, like a syntactic sugar on on Grand Central Dispatch, but it's not much more than that. So so if you know Grand Central Dispatch, there is no friction in using async instead. It's it's basically just working. Um, yeah, it, it's just you 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 really like the sugar that async gives you because you don't have to write this boilerplate code all the time.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt when, it, when I checked out the project. It's a, it's a great project, by the way. Um, so how has it affected your consulting practice, if at all? I mean, getting this notoriety from um, this open source project. I, I always wonder when, when people have these very, very popular projects, um, whether they actually get a lot of inbound as a result of it. So uh, have you actually talked to potential consulting clients who came to you through Async?
1: Nope, I haven't. Uh, so I I think this. Yeah. So that that's my experience. That there is no, uh, there's no one outside the iOS community that would ever hear about async or think that it would be interesting. Uh, and I, I I don't know if if they should. Uh, I think I think I if I wanted to I could use it for uh, if I wanted to make blog posts or if I wanted to become uh, more known for doing iOS development in the iOS community that is a way to get exposure right. uh, you can definitely get, get very quickly get exposure if you actually do a very good open source project uh, i I think we've seen this time over and again and again that's that the people that that we know right. in the iOS community that aren't just in the same city that as ours is right. people who had an open source project of some kind um, so it's a good way of people getting to know you uh but not potential clients, I think, because they, uh, they might, I think maybe, yeah, I, I think maybe you could get a job on it sometime where you get, if, you, if, uh, if someone searches for my name, then of course my, some of my references would be some work that I've done, uh, in, and if that's a positive way and it reflects positively on me, then I would be more likely to get a project. But it's, it's fairly indirect, I think, uh, the way that that works.
0: Right, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, especially what you said at the beginning, that only people in the iOS community, which are not our clients, right? Our clients are the people hiring us, but they're not necessarily in our community, um, are, are the ones that really know about these open source projects. And I've also had the same experience as far as um, what you're saying about uh, more general employment and being Googled. Um, I've actually had, so I have some open source projects that are not very popular at all. Um, but I've gotten employment inbounds like recruiters emailing me because of them. And I found that surprising, but I, it makes sense that our potential clients are not going to be Googling for iOS projects, or, um, if they do find them after they're thinking about working with us, they don't necessarily know what they're all about anyway. So, um, yeah, but have you been able to use it maybe as a selling point when when try, when talking to a potential new client? Um, you know, hey, you're, uh, I have this very popular project that is somehow relevant to your project.
1: I've, I think I haven't had the need to to sell myself using that. Um, I think it it could be uh, something that you could profile yourself on. So. I I really like open source projects and most of the time when when I'm doing work for a client I want it to be open source because um, usually what they do isn't something new, Uh, it's just they want to do it in a specific way or they want to push things in a specific way. Um, And I like the way that when you you use open source uh, frameworks for most of what you do. So of course you use Apple's frameworks for a lot of the app but but most of the rest of it is, is open source projects, uh, a code from, from, yeah, from somewhere else. And, and you couldn't make the app as quickly as you did without using some, some other people's uh, frameworks. And then I think it makes sense to kind of, I don't know if it's to pay tribute to the open source community, but, but if, if there's no reason for actually making things open source, then yeah, it should be open source by default when you do a project, I think. Um, so I think in, in terms of pushing that to a client, it's easier when I've when I have experience with open source from different points of view. Uh, so both having my own framework that, well, potentially I could charge people for using something like async, but I I don't think that has any value uh, for right. me, and uh, I probably wouldn't sell even a single um, single uh, license to that one, right? Um, right. But. But so so it's it's a way of saying okay I use open source I open source my things and when I join a project I expect it to default to be open source and then we can decide okay these things we don't want to be open source because it's yeah maybe it has something that the the client wants to keep uh, keep secret but but in the end if if open source is just default then it's much easier for let's say that I yeah you have the async framework but how are people actually using it what is what is the best practices and. And I can go out now to GitHub and find other projects that uses async and see, okay, how, how are they using async? And then I can go back and actually improve on async. Uh, and so it, it, it becomes much more dynamic um, to have this giant code base where everyone is contributing to. Uh, and it's also nice when, so for instance, on, on the Be My Eyes project, everything is open source. And, and then we had, uh, we had some technical issues with the, with the, the backend and our servers and we got some help from some very brilliant engineers at some yeah some other company uh, and they wanted to just contribute to the the be my eyes project for free and they could just get all the code from github so when we said that they were set up in 5 minutes and they had it running and they could help us debug the issues that we had um so it's also that yeah I, I don't think the quality for a lot of software is actually the software itself but but more that the data it's using and how it's communicating communi- uh, communicating with the uh, with the user uh, and not, the code itself is, is fairly, uh, so, so, so as we talked about before, when you, when you get code from a, a previous, uh, coder, then it's really difficult to, to use it for something valuable. You can use it for this specific project, but if you want to make something just a little bit different, it's most likely that it's better just to begin from scratch. Uh, sometimes it's because the code is, is, is bad, but sometimes it's just... The projects themselves are so specific to solve what they solve. And, and since we use all these different third-party frameworks, they are the ones that are interesting. And since they're already open source, then, yeah, so, so the value is, is combining the frameworks in a good way. And that's, uh, yeah, there, there usually isn't that much value in the software itself.
0: So have you had clients push back on this approach on wanting to open-source uh, most of what you're working on with them? So, have you had a client that says, I want this code to remain closed source um, after you've proposed to them that you want it to be open source?
1: Yeah, I've I've had that. Um, I've had a client who did, um, they wanted to make a a new social network of some kind, and they wanted it to be uh, much more uh, private and much more secure. And, and of course, they didn't want to show how they were solving the security issues and, and privacy issues. Uh, so, for them, it was very important that it was closed-source. Um, so, so, sometimes it makes sense that you, um, maybe if something is open-source by default, doesn't mean that it has to be def- uh, open-source from the beginning, but that you are approaching it as if you were going to make it open-source. Um, because it, it opens you up to using third-party frameworks in a different way. It opens you up to separating out parts of your code base to be a framework, uh, because then others can use it, but you can also use it yourself uh so you also separate the concern very nicely in the app because you're making things frameworks instead of just having one big pool of code um so so i think that's yeah mainly it should be about security concerns privacy concerns or something where of course if this this project is something that no one has to know about because the yeah you you don't want uh, to have any press coverage of it before you actually do something uh maybe it's a high profile company you're doing it for and then of course you you shouldn't If you're you're doing an app for Apple, I don't think you would be allowed to open source it from the get-go, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we we touched a little bit earlier on uh, working in Denmark and that Denmark has a very strong iOS community. I don't know how much experience you have with this, but do you have any idea about how the iOS scene might differ in Denmark and in the EU than it does in the United States?
1: i don't have that much experience about it i i went to us uh, a year ago and when i was there i wanted to see uh i i um, yeah i wanted to see the ios community so i i went to uh, a local meetup in uh, in san francisco mm-hmm. uh there is some some really nice swift meetups so i i went to one of them uh, i saw yeah one of my evenings in the vacation i i decided that i wanted to spend on uh on, yeah, joining a meetup and see what it was like, uh, and it was very different because like there was uh, there were three hundred people at the events, and um, and of course the people you meet there are completely different from the ones that we have here, and and some of them might seem uh, a bit like rock stars or mm-hmm. or people that you've only heard of online, and <laughs> since they're in San Francisco, they are they are a bit more known, uh, but but in the end it's it's very much the same thing when you when you meet up and you discuss things and sometimes you have uh, talks and sometimes you just networking and yeah. So, so I think a lot of that is, is, is the same.
0: Now, async is in Swift, of course. Um, and it sounds like you're pretty involved in Swift um, in general. Is it, are you using Swift on all of your current client projects?
1: Yeah, I, I, I really like Swift and I, um, as I said, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, programming background, so I don't know a lot of different languages. So for me it has also been about learning a new language. Uh, so it's, uh, it's about becoming multilingual also in, in programming, uh, which has been very interesting. Uh, I, um, I thought that when I did uh, Only Objective-C that I didn't actually know what you could do in languages. So now Swift suddenly came along and then I used that for, for learning more uh, about how programming languages works. Um, And and right now, I use it for all projects, Uh, and I try to write as much as possible in Swift. And yeah, now, I think now one year after they launched, uh, everything new that I write is in Swift. I only do Objective-C when I go back and fix something, where I, if I don't want to refactor the entire class or an entire library, which I usually don't want to, then I use the Objective-C, but I try to do as much in Swift as possible.
0: But you've been doing Objective-C since 2008, so would you say at this point, I guess we're about a year into Swift, a little bit over a year, are you at this point more productive in Swift than you are in Objective-C, even though you have, let's say, seven years of experience in Objective-C, do the benefits of Swift inherently uh, make you more productive?
1: I think from the from the offset, Swift has been made to be a successor to Objective-C, so all the frameworks that Apple has it works fairly well with Swift, and Swift has been designed to work well with these frameworks. And that means that the you can actually just code in Swift the way you did in Objective-C. So if you just take the syntax and say, okay, I just want to do the same things, I just do it in Swift instead, you can fairly easily do that. Especially now with the newer releases of Swift, uh, there, is, there is not... I don't think there are many things holding you back from just writing Swift all over the place. And just uh, writing it with the mental uh, approach where you just say, well, I just write it the same way that I did Objective-C. I'm beginning to use Swift in different ways and people are becoming more open about uh, or they're beginning to share their experiences of how they're using Swift differently than than Objective-C. And uh, that is highly valuable to see how you can become more efficient by... By utilizing some of the new things in Swift, instead of just using it the same way that you used Objective-C, uh, but I think from from the initial part, it, it's much more efficient to use Swift because you get some you get some things that just makes your uh, code crash less. Of course, Xcode crashes a lot and it's much yes. slower, uh, but the code itself is is uh, is my experience that it's less error prone, and then uh, you have to you also have to write less, and it looks much better, and uh, and so. So also for me personally, I feel much better writing Swift code. Uh, so I also think it keeps me motivated that it's a new language, it looks better, and you don't have to uh, keep on being, remember that it's, okay, this to c doesn't look good. Whenever you mention it to someone, they always mention these square brackets and you have to defend it and blah, blah, blah. It's, so it's, it's much easier to just having a new, uh, a bit fancy language and use that one instead.
0: Right, right. You touched on a very interesting point, which is that you can actually write Swift um, almost the same way that you wrote Objective-C and get away with it, but really we're being encouraged to kind of think about our code in new ways, right? We have these new functional paradigms that are available to us. We have these new value types that are available to us, like enums and structs that, you know, we're, were kind of a pain to use uh, in Objective-C. And I've done a couple apps now in Swift. The first one I, I wrote almost completely as if I was just writing in Objective-C. And then on the next one, I tried to use all of these new, um, let's say, possibilities. And I found that when you try to integrate them with Coco, you sometimes run into some problems. Because Coco is still ultimately a highly object-oriented, class-based framework. And you can't take some of those exciting new types and use them with Coco um, sometimes. You need to write some bridging code to, to make it work. Um, so has that been a frustration for you at all that that because Cocoa is so so heavily in the Objective C world, some of these new features of Swift that you want to use, you haven't been able to easily integrate into um, the the Cocoa world.
1: Um, I've had I have not had any like uh, roadblocks or something where something where I couldn't continue, but but yeah, definitely have the same experience. That's. There are some things that you just, that does, it doesn't work well together, or uh, you make some new fancy class and then you find out, okay, I, I also need to use this from, from uh, Objective C code, and then you have to refactor it to, to be able to work in that one. So, for instance, in the beginning, uh, if you had to use enums across uh, Objective C and Swift, you had to make them in Objective C, but I think now you can just make them in Swift and they will also work in Objective C, at least parts of it. Um, so, so sometimes you just had to, to write. Objective-C code because Swift worked well with all Objective-C code but Objective-C didn't work well with all Swift code. Uh, so so I think it's more balanced now with the update to Swift and also to Objective-C. Uh, so so I think it's I don't think there aren't that much issues left. And and in the end if, if you figure out something okay this framework doesn't work well well then I can only encourage people to make a a very nice open source framework that wraps uh, the old Objective-C framework or C framework in something uh, something Swift instead. Um, which I've also I've seen a lot of people do that, and it's uh, it's so much nicer to see uh, people that have used an Apple framework for a lot of years and then they make their Swift version of how the API should look like. And usually they're very good. Uh, so like, yeah, I also hope that Apple would actually look at those and see how how they can improve uh, their own frameworks that way.
0: I feel like their hands are a little bit tied, just because there's so much legacy code built around Cocoa. If they wanted to introduce a new framework that was really took advantage of everything that Swift has to offer, it would kind of split the community a little bit. And there's still people who are resisting Swift, right? Um, I some even some famous people in the community. Let's say um, I, I don't we don't have to name names, but there there's certainly some people who are still resistant to Swift, Um, kind of oddly almost, but I I guess they're a little bit stuck in their ways. And of course, there's companies that have huge investments um, in Objective-C like Microsoft or Adobe. And so I guess splitting the community is is probably a danger, right?
1: Yeah, but um, I think think most of what I've heard of people that have opposed Swift is that it's not, that it shouldn't be you shouldn't be the go-to Swift all the time. Like, you can still do things in Objective-C. You don't have to use Swift. Um, And I think that's true, and especially for this first year or maybe also for the next one, a lot of people will be more efficient in Objective-C, and they will also be more efficient as a team. So even though that I personally find Swift to make me more efficient, I think for big teams with big code bases, of course, in the the short term, they will be more efficient in Objective-C. And uh, you can also see some of the improvements that Apple has made to Objective-C to make it more compliant with Swift and to actually backport some of the features that we got in, Object- uh, got in Swift. They now also work in, uh, in, in Objective-C. That, that actually helps you continue to have a big, maybe a big framework in Objective-C and you don't have to uh, remake all of it just to use it in Swift. So I right. think that Apple has definitely thought that you should be able to use these two together even for big projects like the ones that uh, Adobe has or Google has um and I think that that will satisfy them and and they can do whatever they want to do but I think for most indies uh, it makes sense to use Swift at least from now on with the with Swift 2.0 where um, where things it's yeah as many people have commented it's more like the real uh, 1.0 right instead of being actually 2.0 because it's now it has all the features. Or all in all, it, of course, there are many people who still want more, uh, and there's definitely still room for improvement. But but now it has enough that you can make the entire app. There is there's nothing holding you back, and it also seems like it, the changes they've made. They've made some big changes, but not that big. So I wouldn't expect the language to change that much over the next five years or something. Uh, of course, I have I have no experience in development of uh, of languages for coding but but I, I it seems that they have plateaued a little bit uh, in terms of um, how much they're going to change at least the syntax of uh of swift going forward uh, right, also right since they've now begun pushing uh, as you said the, the functional paragraph and things like that they they've begun pushing saying okay this is maybe what we actually thought in the beginning that you were supposed to do in swift but you couldn't because we weren't there yet with with swift so so i think that um, yeah, you can you can use Objective C and Swift together in a very nice way, but most people should probably just use Swift going forward because I think also Apple frameworks they will they will of course update them and uh, make them compliant with Swift. I don't think they will update them to Swift itself, but yeah, maybe down the road. But uh, but maybe newer frameworks will be in Swift and Swift only, and they will have they will use some of these paradigms. Um, that doesn't comply well with Objective-C. So, so yeah, they made Swift for a reason, and I think they should utilize it, and I also hope that they do uh, in the future.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely yeah. agree with you, and um, it's actually been a really pleasant surprise to see them making those updates to Objective-C to make interoperability um, a lot more straightforward. And um, I, I really didn't expect that. I, I thought they were kind of... Um, going to keep Objective-C in a bit of a stasis, but to see that it's still evolving has been probably very reassuring to, like we said, a lot of these um, large corporations who have huge Objective-C code bases. Uh, but I completely agree with you. I think any new projects that um, people are working on at this point should be in Swift. But it's interesting that you know, given how much experience you do have in Objective-C, that you're, you're already more productive in Swift, it sounds like, uh, and you enjoy working in Swift more, what do you miss, if at all, from Objective-C? Is there anything that, that when you think, uh, and you're working in Swift, you think, wow, uh, I wish I could do this, but I can't?
1: Mm, I don't know if there's anything I'm actually missing uh, from Objective-C. Uh, it, it, it more feels like, well, there's something in Swift, now I want to do it in this new way, why can't I do it? Uh, so it, it's more like, okay, you promised me that I could do things in a different way, but it wasn't yeah it wasn't really there yet uh, i haven't used swift 2.0 that much because right now i'm on projects that yeah they they still uh, have to be released uh, before ios 9 uh, yeah. and and so i i can't work on swift 2.0 and i haven't had the time to use it that much uh, but it seems like they've 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 hit a point where now it's much more uh, complete uh, so you 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 can see what the the way that they want you to write Swift is now also possible in Swift uh, instead of having this uh, half baked solution that Swift one and also one point two has has felt like. Uh, I uh, yeah I don't know if if there's anything I'm actually missing from Objective C as I said I'm I'm not that big a, a language guy and even though I have experience in Objective C it's I feel more like I'm having experience with the the Apple frameworks than Objective C itself. Right, uh, and and the frameworks there has there has been some things that just didn't work that well from Swift. Uh, from the top of my head, I can't I can't remember it directly. But of course, things things like uh, let's say the way that you make uh, make a table view that with extensions and protocols, it, it's fairly easy to use it in Swift. And actually, the delegate pattern for that feels much better, I think, in Swift than it did in in, in Objective C. Um, but but some other things, of course, there are things that where you can see well, it's an to c framework that Apple has made, and, and not a Swift framework. Uh, and, and I'm really hoping to see that they they improve uh, in in some way. And it can be just improving or just adjust. It's it's, it's uh, fairly impressive the way that they are improving to c as well. But but maybe they can utilize that even more and have an even higher synergy going forward uh, uh, between Objective-C and Swift, uh, and that way they can. They can. They don't have to remake all their Apple frameworks. They can just, uh, yeah. So I think that Apple can can improve their old frameworks just by updating them to a newer Objective C. Uh, and if they keep improve Objective C, then they can keep making their old frameworks uh, work well with Swift.
0: Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, what you said I think is absolutely true about that we work more with frameworks sometimes than we do with languages. I I think when I was learning to program a long, long time ago um, when I was a little kid, somebody said to me that programming is 20% learning the language and 80% learning the libraries. And I I think that's probably true of of Coco in that um, if you know Coco, if you're somebody who's coming from Objective-C to Swift, um, because Swift and Objective-C are so tied to Apple's frameworks, um, you can't, there really are no other environments, right? Until Swift is open source, there, there's you can't use Swift without Cocoa, right? Uh, not really, at least, not very much. Um, and it's, it's, so it's as much about knowing the Cocoa frameworks as it is about knowing the language itself in some ways. Um, but... To, to wrap up, I want to go and talk a little bit big picture with you um, about your business and about how it's evolved over the last few years. So over the last few years, what's been the biggest challenge in, in growing your consulting business? And what are your goals in the next few years? Do you want to keep doing consulting for the foreseeable future? And uh, do, you want, do you want to start building a team or do you want to keep being uh, kind of an independent
1: so, so to begin with the end, I I really want to just be myself. Uh, I have no uh, interests in in growing a team or controlling a team and and see how yeah and, and use that in any way. Um, I I have a very personal perspective on on every project that I'm on, and I I just want to be myself as a part of the team. Um, I don't see myself as a consultancy firm doing things for for someone else, but I see myself as someone who is very close to being a, a regular worker on the team and helping them them build maybe the team or a project uh, and it's um yeah I, I started out not even wanting to do or I didn't think I was going to do that much consultancy as as what I do right now um for half a year ago, I found out that, it, okay, I had three big projects and that was just too much. Uh, so I've learned that I should dial back and, and only have like one, two, one and a half projects, uh, bigger projects at a time uh, because it's just too much to to handle personally. But also that it, it's difficult to to be able to give what the client wants when they, they, now they really want to push on something and then you just have to say, well, I have, Five other projects that I'm also working on. So maybe maybe next month. Uh, so so I like to be able to be, be flexible for the clients. Um, they that's also what as we talked about in the beginning. That's one of the values that they have for me is that I I, I am in Copenhagen. I can meet up. And uh, and if I'm not flexible, then they don't have that value. Uh, but but actually, I, I I don't see myself as yeah. As I said, I don't see myself as a consultant. I more see myself as someone who is joining teams. So instead of I'm instead of working in the old-fashioned way where I'm being hired by someone and then they have to figure out what I should work on, then I join someone who knows what I'm going to work on, and 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 then I can help them work on that. Uh, so so it's more of of picking projects that I like instead of picking workplaces that I like. Um, so okay. so yeah.
0: So you you enjoy that independence. That's very important to you. Being able to choose the projects that you work on, and yeah, um, definitely, yeah, yeah. So you couldn't see yourself giving this all up and and joining a corporation and just working on the same product for years and years and years. Um, but at the same time, it sounds like your biggest challenge was actually when you had too many projects at the same time, um, and that um, I guess you weren't able to give enough of yourself to each one individually. Is that fair? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think I have. I haven't said no to doing joining a corporation uh, i've when i when I was studying I worked at a in a bigger danish uh, company uh, that was related to my my studies and it was really good and it was uh, it helped me through uh, helped me through school to actually try to use whatever i i learned in in school uh, but i i I wanted to try something different so for the past couple of years i've done this consultancy freelance things to try something different and to learn okay what how do i actually work best and i don't think that i found exactly the right projects that are perfect for me yet but i I know that some type of projects don't work for me so it's more of a, excluding and saying okay i know that these types of projects i have these difficulties with and other projects i have other difficulties with uh, so I think I'm better at judging projects going forward, and it it might actually be joining a corporation and doing a an interesting project. But but I, I still think I would be very project focused uh, person. But but it's not about actually the the it's not about the frames around your work that they have to be in a specific way. I just know that some frames work better for me than others, and and if I'm in a, in a uh, in a specific situation in a workplace, I need some specific things to be in an, in another way for me to work efficiently uh, so so I think also now I, I if I joined a corporation, I would know much more about how i how I work efficiently uh, so it, it, has, it has also just been an adventure and trying to work in different ways than just the typical you finish school and then you join a corporation and then that's where you work for the rest of your life
0: um, yeah. So tell the listeners how they can reach you, if they want to do a project with you, where should they go, Um, and is there anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah, so um, um, my consultancy firm is called Develop Monk, uh, as in development, just with monk in the end, and uh, my last name is Monk, so that's why. Uh, Monk is M-U-N-K and not M-O-N-K, but in Danish it actually means the same thing, uh, being a monk. and then um, on uh, on twitter i'm to b s Tobias, Tobias d m uh, and uh yeah i think most places that's my handle uh on github i'm uh monk or do monk uh or spelled jew monk and then again with a U in the monk uh and uh, yeah uh, in general i'm i'm open for projects i would really like to see people uh, uh join async and and see how it can be improved and uh yeah, it's been really interesting to be on GitHub. I think that's that's the most interesting place to meet other coders and join other projects.
0: Absolutely. Is there anything that we didn't talk about over the last hour or so that that you wanted to cover that that's relevant to your business or um, that that the listeners might find interesting?
1: Yeah. So so I remember when we talked about doing this interview that you mentioned uh, the Danish uh, laws in terms of uh, health insurance and things sure. like that. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's actually, that's been a big part of why I could do what I did. Uh, I, when I finished school, I just didn't go for getting a, getting a job. I didn't have any, uh, I, I had some savings. Uh, I married and my wife had a, had a steady job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during my school, I, I didn't, in Denmark, we get paid for going to school, for university, and it's free to go to university. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have any debt uh, in any way. I had some savings, uh, actually. Um, so I could just start out doing it and health insurance is, uh, yeah, it's not free but it's paid over taxes so everyone gets the same health insurance. Uh, so so that's, things like that make it very easy to start out and, and just being independent because uh, every dime I make is, is for me and for profit. So I had, I had a laptop already and, uh, yeah, I, for my first client when I got some money from that one, I, I made profit. I didn't have any uh, bigger expenses. So, so I think that's a very big difference between uh, Denmark and, and U.S. at least.
0: Uh, uh, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I spend um, almost $800 a month on health insurance. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the education, of course, I had student loans coming out of graduate school as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of expenses here in the U.S. that I guess you don't incur in the EU. Um, it differs, I'm sure, from EU country to EU country. I actually worked in um, healthcare consulting after I did my undergrad in economics, and I, I worked in healthcare consulting doing um, pricing and reimbursement suggestions for big pharmaceutical companies. And one of the things we did was an analysis of reimbursement for new drugs that are coming out by country to country based on their national health insurance. Or mm-hmm. you know, or in the U.S. for individual health insurance companies, and it was it was really striking to to see the differences, and it's interesting how it affects somebody in our profession. I mean, it, it really does have a huge impact, and you know, I I guess sometimes maybe people consultants in America feel a pressure to take on a new project because they have these um, concerns about well, if I don't immediately take on a new project now that my last one ended. Uh, what happens to me um, if I can't afford my health insurance? And maybe there's more of a luxury um, in s- some countries with socialized medicine where you don't have that fear. Um, even though everyone still has, hopefully, uh, you know, some savings and some um, some cushion to fall back on. Um, there's always this fear in the back of your mind. What if, you know? What if? Um, and okay. it must be reassuring not to have that.
1: Yeah, definitely and it's uh, I think it's it's good to have yeah you need to have some savings because it's it's really not good just joining projects for for the for getting in of course you have to get in some money at some time but right but it, for me it was very it was very good to just have no pressure on on taking in the clients uh, in the beginning so I could actually figure out okay what did I actually want to do especially when you just finished school and yeah, I, as I said, I I changed completely direction from from what I studied to to what I work with now, uh, and it, it's nice to have this flexibility so you can just very easily change profession actually. Uh, so that's uh, that has been very. It has been very important to me that I couldn't have done it if I I were supposed to pay my health insurance or or other things. So in in that way, I've been very privileged and been able to do it. So I can only encourage you to. Uh, to get a more socialized uh, <laughs> <laughs> health insurance in the U.S. as well, but it seems like you don't like it. So <laughs> that's but, yeah. true. Well, you know, <laughs> just to be just to be a little bit political here in the uh, I don't in the guess. final parts of the show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too political, um, but oh. no, it's definitely an interesting an interesting point, and I, I think that um, it's interesting maybe that we don't see even more consultants coming out of um, out of EU countries because I, I feel like. I see a lot more American consultants than I do EU consultants, and sometimes I wonder why that is. Um, and maybe it is what we were talking about earlier in, in the show about how there's kind of this local market, and where it sounds like most of your clients are Danish. Um, and so yeah, maybe- I think that
1: makes yeah, I think that makes a difference. But but I also think that that in US you have uh, the government uses consultants much more than we do here. Uh, we do true. it some, but. But but you you private so everything has to be private, right so right. if the government wants to do something, it seems like the, you have to hire a private firm to do it, so basically you get consultants like government funded consultants that way um, we are, we're beginning to do it more and more in europe uh, to to privatize in that way but but we, we haven't done it yeah we're doing it for different reasons I think than, than you have in u s uh, but but I think that's also make a big difference uh, but yeah, I also think you are right about the localness about it it's um, it's not, um, you don't see consultants from other countries because they just work in their own country.
0: Right, but, but I do, but I don't see them so much from, for, for some reason, from the EU. I do see them sometimes from uh, Eastern European nations, and some of them are not EU countries. And I, I am competing, like we talked about earlier, with, with India sometimes, sometimes with China mm-hmm. Um, but I'm mostly competing with with other Americans and with those outsourced countries, not so much from EU countries. Um, and I wonder if a part of that also is is linguistic. Um, in that, if I'm a French company, um, then I probably want a French iOS developer so that uh, we can communicate most efficiently um, about the project. And so they and it sounds like. Um, In in your experience, you haven't had any problem finding clients. They've come to you. So maybe because they have a smaller pool to draw from of local consultants, they have no need to to look abroad. And in the same vein, the consultants um, in these EU countries already have enough client work uh, from local companies that they don't need to be applying for projects abroad. Does that make sense? Or is that a little Yeah, yeah?
1: No, I, I think that's I think that's correct. Um, I've, so in general, in Denmark, we are the language barrier. We we are very, usually very good at speaking English. We have English from a very um, early age in school. Um, so so usually that's not a barrier for us. But I think uh, culturally we are a bit uh, reluctant to uh, start our own companies. And um, the startup culture here is 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 it's quite good, but it's definitely something that is limited by the culture. We have a culture of that that is very um very the opposite of what it is in the u s so it's like you shouldn't you shouldn't think that you're anything that's basically it so okay. so it's like it there is um, i think that keeps some some people from doing it uh, i think other countries in eu even though they are also uh, more socialized um, they have a more socialized economy than than u s has they they don't have the flexibility that we have in Denmark. So in Denmark, we have, that's, it's called the Scandinavian model for the economy. So mm-hmm. I have health insurance when I get, uh, if I get unemployed, uh, I, yeah, I still have the health insurance. I also get paid by the government for just not having a job uh, for a certain amount of time. Uh, I think you can get it, yeah. And, and we have insurance for our paycheck, so that you also get a little bit extra if you're used to uh, being paid higher than what the government will pay you if you're unemployed. And this means that we have a very flexible um a flexible workforce, and we can very quickly uh, just get off work, and then you don't have to worry about getting money for a month or two while you're finding the next good job. Um, and it it makes it much much more flexible in countries like France that have much more. Um, yeah, they they don't have the flexibility. They do have the security, but the security is actually limiting them in the way that they. Uh, if you get work uh, at a at a corporation, then you you it's difficult to. Uh, to get fired, and and you you can just keep staying there for a very long time. Especially if you get employed in the public uh, sector, then it's it's difficult to get fired, and and it makes it, it makes it less like that people just start off their own because they have they have very big benefits from being employed somewhere. Um, right. And even though we we do have some benefits of being employed in Denmark, mainly the the paycheck is much bigger uh, than being independent. But uh, but if you depending on which living standard you want to have, then it's fairly easy just to start out and you can give yourself a, a year and see how it goes and then if you decide not to do it, well, then you just get a job and then, then that's it. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of security and there's a lot of flexibility and that, that works very well together when you want to start out yourself. But unfortunately, our culture doesn't push it that much. So, But we're, we're really trying to, to change that and, and see people do more startups becoming... Uh, More independent because it's um, it's a good way of working, and I think it's a good way of pushing innovation much faster than you can do in a big corporation.
0: Well, it occurs to me that I didn't ask you one very pertinent question, which is relevant to the entire uh, context of talking to an iOS developer from Denmark with Danish clients. What kind of market share does Apple have in Denmark? Uh, What what percentage of users are on iOS versus Android?
1: Yeah, they're very good. Uh, it's or yeah, good in terms of there is a, a big share for for iOS, uh, okay. and I also think that that makes for the the localness of development of apps because there is a bigger need for iOS apps in Copenhagen uh, than for Android. Um, so so in general, when when people discuss oh Android is the new thing, well that, that doesn't really count in Denmark. If you if you want to make an app for the general population, then you you make an iOS app first, I think. Uh, so Android's it's maybe 50/50 but yeah.
0: Android's not even on your radar personally like you're not interested in learning Android development.
1: Mm I might be interested in learning it but I I uh, I feel like it's it's enough just to know iOS. I would much rather join a team where there's an iOS uh, or an Android developer and one iOS developer. Uh so so I wouldn't personally I don't have a need for learning Android. Uh but uh but I think most projects usually have uh, need to make Android and iOS. And I think the best way is if you want to have a good quality then you need to have someone who can do Android and, and another person who can do uh, do the iOS part. Um, but it's uh, I, there's there seems to be so much synergy between the interfaces uh, Apple is mimicking Google and Google is mimicking Apple and from Windows Phone now it also looks like they are beginning to look more like um, the iOS and the Android style of uh, of UI, um, so so I think many things are converging because people change platforms once in a while, and and it's uh, it seems like everyone has some sort of agreement on what mobile UI should be, uh, and at least there seems to be some some convergence in that area. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I definitely see myself picking up Android once, but but I think it would be more that okay now I'm changing completely to Android or it wouldn't be to do it as well as iOS i think
0: well thank you so much for coming on the show i think this was a really informative episode and i want to thank you for taking the time to give your perspective from denmark uh somewhere that um maybe a lot of american listeners aren't so familiar with
1: yeah you're welcome it was uh, it was great to be on this uh consults podcast
0: great thanks for listening everyone I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tobias Dumonk. You can find him on Twitter at TobiasDM. That's T-O-B-I-A-S-D-M. And you can find his consultancy at developmonk.dk. That's D-E-V-E-L-O-P-M-U-N-K dot D-K. We'll see you again next week, and remember to rate us on iTunes. Have a great week, everyone.